And while you're filling that out, um, I'd appreciate uh, any, any of these postcards that might come back. Um, I've got a lot of, um, well, I don't have as many papers as Orville does, um, so you must like him better. But I do have a few. I, bought, I have about a dozen of these. Um, asking, uh, you know, what Bible book or subject would you be interested in hearing more about? Or what life issue um, would you like to hear teaching from, uh, from, the, from the pulpit? And uh, so there's just some things that I'm thinking about for, um, for the coming months. I do want to give thanks uh, again um, the welcoming reception last Sunday night was an amazing display of ice cream and goodies and generosity. And we are so grateful, overwhelmed by the, uh, by the turnout, by the people that, that uh, showed us a lot of um, just open arms, a lot of generosity going on, the gift cards uh, to different grocery stores, Home Depot, Walmart, all kinds of good stuff, pizza, it's amazing. We uh, really very much appreciate all of you um, in all of that. And uh, I want to give a caveat. Uh, last week, I mistakenly mentioned that there was free Wi-Fi here. And then I s had somebody ask me, what's the password? Because you looked it up and there's no free Wi-Fi. We are working on the idea of getting a guest access uh, to Wi-Fi and having a dedicated bandwidth to, uh, to the office and to the media table. And that's, that's in the works. So just um, if, if, uh, if you can't get the, the free Wi-Fi here and you're out of data, I'm sorry about that right now. I can't do much for you. Uh, but in better news, uh, yesterday afternoon, I just wanted to, to celebrate and, and give, a, give a shout out uh, to the Lord. To, um, I was able to witness right here in the baptistry, Ed Martin baptizing a guy named Brian, a uh, result of the Restore and More ministry. And um, your, the, I think these envelopes that you see on the, is that, is that for your, the Benevolence Fund? Those of you who give to that, or if you want to give to that, that's how to do that. Um, Ed oversees a lot of uh, this ministry, and a lot of dollars go out to help people. This gentleman um, responded to the gospel in, in powerful ways, and his life is totally upside down, and he's on the right track to get it back. And, and he did, made a huge step yesterday in giving his life to Jesus, being buried in baptism. So I'm, I'm just going to say praise the Lord for that. We're, um, we're in the middle of a series on all things new and uh, lots of new things for us, all kinds of new things. We're learning all kinds of stuff about living here um, and uh, finding new things in boxes we didn't know that we had or, oh, that's where that went. And now that we've put it away, uh, where did it go? That's my thing. Uh, where did I put that? Um, so, um, so Rhoda and the, and the girls are, are hard at work getting things put back uh, where put they, not back where they belong, but put where they go, if, and, then, and then we don't like it, we'll move it. Um, but new things um, in this series, we're, today we're going to be talking about new, uh, a new commandment, a new commandment. When I, when I was a kid, my mom started taking my sister, my little sister and I, to church when I was in about kindergarten. My first experience with church was in kindergarten. Um, and Wednesday nights, we did Whirly Birds and Jet Cadets. Anybody do Whirly Birds and Jet Cadets as kids? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who wore the little beanie with the helicopter on top with all the badges. That was my, that's my church experience. And then we went to Sunday mornings. But on Sunday mornings, I, I began to, to make friends like kids do. And 
over the next few years and at my elementary years up to, you know, 10, 12 years old, my best friend uh, was also named Jim. And so Jimmy and Jimmy would run around the church and get in trouble and get lost and frustrate people. And, uh, you know, the kids, they, they jump up and they smack the door frame and then they get looked at by, by people like, don't do that. That was my church. But Jimmy's, the other Jimmy's mom, um, was, a, was a tall lady that had a smile as big as all outdoors. And Karen was a central figure in my life growing up in church because I always wanted to sit with Jim um, to the chagrin of my parents, but I wanted to sit with them because in, even in my little, little boy squirmy, I don't want you to know this mentality, she loved me. And I know she loved me because she hugged me every week, at least once. And little boys don't like hugs, at least they say they don't. And I would put up with it as long as I possibly could, and then I would squirm away. And then sometimes she would even grab my face and make me look her in the eye, which I did. Oh, oh, awkward. (laughs) But for a split second, I loved it because I could then connect with a person that I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt loved me for no reason that I knew of other than I was there. And I didn't know as a kid that God commanded us to love one another. And it didn't seem to matter, even if, if, it, even if I did know that. Karen loved me because that's who she was. That's who Jesus was in her. And there are a lot of other people in that church that I grew up with that sometimes I remember their names and sometimes I don't, but I'll always remember Karen. She loved me. Jesus, when he was being questioned, Matthew 22, verse 34. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply. And they met, him to get, they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with the question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Which was a, a very popular question amongst all of the teachers and lawyers and Pharisees. They always wanted to debate, what's the most important commandment? Because there, in their mind, there were 613 of them. Which is most important, Jesus? Whose side are you going to be on? And Jesus replied, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now when we hear the word commandment, law, rule, there seems to be some kind of rigidity to that. There seems to be a cold, distant kind of authoritarian display. I'm commanding you to do something. You're under orders to accomplish a certain task. And we just assume we're being told to do something we don't want to do. Nobody likes being bossed around. And as much as we need boundaries and limits on our behavior to keep a civilized society or at least a kindergarten classroom from exploding, we need rules. We don't like them entirely. We still want to bend them a little bit just to see how far we can get. Like my puppy likes to try and wiggle his way through the fence, and then he stands on the front porch and barks at me. 
He doesn't really want outside the fence, but he does just enough to let me know, I got out. That's a kid for you. And, and that's us. We test the fence. We push the envelope. We push the boundary. Why? Because that's, that's exactly what got Adam and Eve in trouble. The one thing that they were told not to do, they, they did it. And the rest of us are suffering for it. And it begs the question, if the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our being, how does God, if we look at commands and rules and laws in the, the way I just described, how does God get away with commanding humans to love him? I mean, doesn't it sound kind of egotistical? Doesn't it sound kind of manipulative or even a power grab or pushy to say, love me? If you do out of command, sometimes it borders on, if you extract or, or try to make someone show you affection, it's not deep, it's not genuine, and it, it will backfire. Do you, anybody remember the Disney movie Aladdin? Not the new one, the good one. The, the, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, I've never seen it, the new one. But, you know, the old animation one, where Robin Williams is the genie, and when Aladdin finds the lamp, and the genie pops out, and he gives, you got three wishes, I'll give you anything, anything, except, what are the caveats, the quid pro quos, the, the you know, provisos? He can't kill anyone, so don't even ask. He can't make anyone rise from the dead, and he can't make anyone fall in love. And then there was that Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty. Anybody? Help me out here, okay? Admit it, in church, you've seen that, right? And he, and Morgan Freeman, who played the part of God in that movie, gave Jim Carrey's character all the powers that God possesses. And he, Jim Carrey's character used them for his own purposes and his own selfish motives. And his wife, Jennifer Aniston's character, just got tired of it. She got t- thought he was going crazy. She left him, and he went to her work where she worked at a school. And you remember that part where he's like going love me, love me, you know, and trying to get all of his godlike powers, and she's standing there going, I did, and walked away. So it's not like, I mean, I think the movie gets it. You can't force, God won't force you to love him. He has commanded you to do so, but we see commands differently than the ancient Israelites did. The ancient Israelites had a whole different way of looking at God's commands. Um, and all, all hundreds of them. The, the law of Moses, all of the prophets, they wrote about the law. They loved the law. Look at Psalm 19. The psalmist talks about the law of the Lord. And he says, the laws of the Lord are picky, frustrating us all. The commands of the Lord are burdensome and hard to remember. And the instruction of the Lord is a royal pain in the neck. And it's hard to find loopholes. Are you reading where I'm reading? Because, oh wait, that's a different version altogether. I'm sorry. Different, different Bible. Here's the real one. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. I'm in verse 7 of Psalm 19. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Did you hear the words that he used to to describe the law of God? Perfect, trustworthy, right, clear, pure, true, desirable, sweet, and they're a warning. They're a reward in keeping them. See, for the people of God, the law was a gift. The law meant they were chosen out of all the other nations as a people unto God, a holy to himself, privileged, honored, and they were blessed to know the creator of the universe. They, they, were, and they were poured on wisdom and power and forgiveness and healing. They saw the law of God to restore their freedom, not to restrict it. When's the last time you looked at God's rules like that? Then Jesus comes along and says, I've got a new one. Again, you've got to hear this using the ears of an ancient Israelite. One of the, one of the disciples saying, what, what do you mean you have a new command? I, we've got all kinds of commands in here. And Jesus as the son of God, as the son of David, as the authority that he knew he had, says, I got a new one. But it's not really a new one. It's an old one, but I've amped it. I've, I've lifted it up a notch here. I've raised the bar. John 13, 31. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Watch the screen, little video. When Christians express love toward others, it shouldn't just be as we love ourselves, but as Christ loved us. Like that said, it's on a supernatural level. It's beyond us. It's beyond our ability. We need help doing that. We need the Holy Spirit to do this within us. Because let's face it, if some of us loved others as we loved ourselves, it wouldn't be pretty. It's not likely that you're going to love one another as Jesus loves you if you don't know Jesus loves you. Right? And it's not likely that you'll love one another as Jesus loves you if you don't have a healthy love for yourself as a result of Jesus' love. Let me try to explain. In Ephesians 5.29, the Apostle Paul writes, No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, as Christ cares for the church. And I don't take issue with Paul on very many things. You know, he wrote half the New Testament. But I don't understand this because wherever I look, I see people who do hate their own body. Some people don't feed themselves very well. They don't care for their own health. They they neglect their health. They engage in risky, addictive habits. We eat terrible food all the time, and we don't exercise, and we wonder why we're so tired, because we don't get any sleep. 
And some of us have such a low view of ourselves that we purposefully inflict pain of various kinds. For those of us who struggle, not only to take care of ourselves, but to have a positive and healthy view of who we are, it's hard to love other people in that way. There's a rule I've observed, and it's this. Hurt people hurt people. People who are hurting tend to hurt other people. And when someone lashes out at me, the first question I have trained myself to ask is, what is killing them inside right now? That they're taking it out on me. If you were raised in church, or even if you weren't, you may have been taught, you maybe looked up to a, a, a parent or a grandparent or a friend that has that reputation of being selfless. That, that person like in Philippians 2, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Um, don't look out only out for your own interests, but for the interest of others. That person that would, as they say, give the shirt off their back for you. Or the person that exemplifies 1 Corinthians 10. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And Jesus even said, um, whoever wants to be leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave. And if you take these things out of context and you exclude other parts of Scripture, you might be tempted to conclude, as I have been in the past, that to love others in a Christ-like manner, you must despise yourself. That to put others first, the Christ-like thing to do is to never take care of your own needs. Or to be the selfless person, you always are out to help somebody else, but as soon as someone offers to help you, you say, no, I'm okay, I, I, I really don't need anything. And immediately, there's distance between you and that person. You have, you have drawn a line, and you call it humility, but I call it pride. And so does Scripture. Because what we do to other people, we end up doing to God, because He wants to love and cherish us, and we say, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not worthy of it. But there is a place, there is a regard for oneself because you were made in his image. You were saved by his blood. He counted you loved and cherished enough to come here and pursue your heart and save your soul. You know, when you, when you step onto that airplane and the flight attendant gives the pre-flight talk and, and they say, you know, if the cabin loses pressure and you'll find the, the, the oxygen mask falls uh, and if you have a small child with you, make sure that you selfishly grab that thing for yourself and pull it over your head and forget the kid who's next to you. Right? Is that what they say? No, obviously not. Are you supposed to Put the oxygen mask on the kid first because that's your kid, that's your flesh and blood, and you had better take care of your kid first. Is that what they say? No. They say, put the mask over your mouth and nose first and then help whoever's needing help. That sounds backwards to most of us who are used to giving of ourselves until we're completely empty We're all about helping somebody else first. 
But if you're trying to get an oxygen mask on a screaming, terrified toddler, and you run out of air, both of you will pass out. If you got no air in you, you can't take care of your kid. If you have no love in your bucket, you can't overflow into somebody else's life very well. If you're the kind of Christian who understands that God loves you, but you don't really think that he likes you, I would challenge you to look at the relationship and the conversations that Jesus had with the Father. I think that Jesus loved so deeply, with such authenticity, so unfailingly and indiscriminately because he joyfully accepted the love of the Father toward him. Think of his baptism. The clouds opened, the Holy Spirit descended as a dove, and the voice thundered from heaven, This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. And Jesus kind of kicked the water and said, Oh, shucks, I ain't nothing. (laughs) No, not even close. That's deflection. That's separation. That says, no, God, you can't love me like that. And, and that says, that's Peter saying, don't you wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. We must receive in order to give genuinely and deeply. Perhaps before you go out here to try and love others as Christ loved you, maybe you need to give yourself a chance to truly believe that God loves you. And he even likes you. And maybe you need to hear, this is my beloved child. I am so proud of you. I am so into what you're doing right now. I know you're struggling, but I'm just loving you right now. I'm so proud of you. Some of you never heard that as kids. And you need to hear it from your heavenly father. There's a song that I'm going to try and play and sing called Be Kind to Yourself. It's one of our uh, favorites, at least mine at the house, by a guy named Andrew Peterson. Sometimes when you are your own worst enemy, you need to learn to love your enemies. Let's try this. You got all that emotion that's heaving like an ocean And you're drowning in a deep dark well I can hear it in your voice if you only had a choice You would rather be anyone else I love you just the way that you are I love the way you made your precious heart Be kind to yourself Be kind to yourself I know it's hard to hear it when that anger in your spirit Is pointed like an arrow at your chest When the voices in your mind are anything but kind And you can't believe your father knows best I love you just the way that you are I love the way he's shaping your heart Be kind to yourself 
be kind to yourself. How does it end when the war that you're in is just you against you against you? You gotta learn to love, learn to love, learn to love your enemies too. You can't expect to be perfect, it's a fight, you gotta forfeit. You belong to me, whatever you do. So lay down your weapon, darling, take a deep breath and believe that I love you. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. You gotta learn to love, learn to love, learn to love your enemies too. You gotta learn to love, learn to love, learn to love your enemies too. Once we learn to do that in healthy ways, because honestly, some of us are afraid to feel like that, because we feel like if we do, we're going to slip to the other side of the spectrum, which is sinful pride, and we don't want that. But once you have a healthy view of who you are in Christ and how cherished and loved you are, you're free. You're free to trust him. You're free to obey whatever he wants you to do because you know you're so much, you're so cherished, you're so safe. You'll be bold with how you love others. You'll be less fearful in being rejected when you truly believe God loves you. You'll be more capable, more filled, more overflowing with the love of Christ in your own heart. You will naturally rub off on others. You won't even know you're doing this. So how does this look? This to love one another as Jesus loves us. How does that play out? Let's look at one passage. Another passage from John. The first letter that he wrote. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. He alludes to this new commandment talk that Jesus said in his hearing. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, the old one you've had from the beginning, the old commandment that was the new commandment when Jesus gave it. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before, yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, here's the test, if anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the dark. How does, how does loving one another as Christ loved us, how does that play out? Sometimes it means cleaning house. Sometimes it means starting with a household of believers. Sometimes it means looking across the room at a, at a person that you haven't talked to in months because you're just irritated with them, 
right here in your own church family. Sometimes it means you've got to get right with one another and getting right with God means that you can shine. What did Jesus say? By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. The opposite's also true. When the people of Christ gossip and backbite and power grab, people outside the church see that and go, I don't want any part of that. That's exactly what I thought they would be like. If there's any separations, any old hostilities, any unforgiven wounds between people, even, even here or within this church, we need to ask God for mercy and to repent. For this place to shine brighter than ever, and believe me, I know it shines brightly, but to, for the gospel to shine even brighter and for the message to go even farther, we must love one another as Christ loves us. And here's a couple more examples, and I'll be done. Here's how this plays out. Colossians 3, verse 13. Make allowances for each other's faults. Put up with each other. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, God forgave you, so you must forgive others. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another then. Bring each other in, just as in Christ, God accepted you. You're only doing for others what God has already done for you because that's the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as you know that God has done for you. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's new. That's a new twist on the old. It makes it that much better. Sometimes it makes it that much harder. But it also makes it something that can change your world. And whoever it is that you're having trouble loving right now can change theirs too. Let's pray together. God, some of us, we haven't, we haven't known this love of Jesus firsthand ever, and we need, we need you to show this truth to us. And, and some of us, we've We've known you for, for years and even decades. And uh, we have we've built in separations because we don't, we don't really think that, that you love us as much as uh, you love other people. There's reasons that you have that you don't really care as much. So we're not as worthy or something like that. So I pray that your spirit breaks through those barriers too that we built, those walls that don't need to be there and that you would flood our hearts with the undeniable, unstoppable, transforming love that you are and that you give. And help us as your people to go from here with that love that's transformed our hearts and it will continue to light the world until you come back. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.